This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I caught up with Jess, who was once described to me as human extraordinaire. Jess is a registered human nurse, a registered veterinary nurse, and works both in general practice and as a vet nurse educator. She has her Certificate 4 in Veterinary Nursing and Diploma in Emergency and Critical Care, a double degree in Biomedical Science, and a Bachelor of Registered Human Nursing. Jess lives on a farm with her kids, her fur kids, and her vet husband. She's extremely passionate about educating and developing veterinary nurses in practice and also shared some really honest insight into the challenges of returning to work after having kids. Jess and I discovered a lot of common ground in our thoughts on the veterinary industry and often found ourselves finishing each other's sentences. It was a pleasure to hear her story and she well and truly lived up to her reputation as human extraordinaire. Hey Jess, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Hey, thanks for having me, Kat. I am interested to know, are you listening to any podcasts? If so, what are they? Ah, you know, I never used to, um, but uh, I do now. I do now. I definitely listen to yours um, because um, having a few friends on your program got me certainly interested and um, it's like finding a new pair of favourite jeans. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I love introducing people to the world of podcasts too. But yeah, it is nice hearing some of your friends on there. So you know Nat and do you know who do you know Joe? Uh yep, yep. I've met Joe a few times now and it was so funny listening to hers um because some of her answers were like just like mine, even as random as they as they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And who else have you known? Um I've just come across other people in the industry yeah. but um familiar names and faces yeah I'm the same sometimes I feel like I know someone and I'm like hang on do I know them like saw them at a conference and they have no idea who I am or do I know them like I actually know them so yeah yeah totally oh I was gonna say also I'm a bit boring I listen to ABC conversations on on as far as podcasts go but that's that's about it that's one of my favorite podcasts I don't think that's boring at all but I am particularly biased to I like the Richard Feidler ones I'm not so happy when it's anyone else (gasps) me too Absolutely. He's got such a great interview technique. He's amazing. I actually listened to Mia Friedman interview him when I was trying to figure out how I would do this show. And she talked about how does he make someone who's like an ant farmer be the most interesting (laughs) human you've ever listened to. And he sort of described the way that he uses his questions and puts them in an arc so that you get taken on a story with like a middle and an end. And he doesn't ask any exploding chicken questions as he calls them right at the end because there's no time to sort of go into it. He purposely does all his research to get the exploding chicken chicken questions in the middle and I was like oh you're actually a genius he is and he just flows it's not um too structured and and um sort of too formal and that's what I like yeah 
Yeah. And now I suspected you know, Joe, because I think you live around Adelaide somewhere. Where are you from and where do you currently live? Yeah, so I do live in Adelaide now. Um, originally from Perth in the hills. Um, grew up there and uh, but we moved here. I moved here with Nick, my husband, who was also from yep. Perth, although he lived down in the city. Um, and we moved here uh, in 2008 and moved to a little uh-huh. town called Macclesfield in the Adelaide Hills, which is very picturesque um, and gorgeous. But recently, um, as of three, four months ago now, we've moved five k's away to a little town called Bugle Ranges. Excellent. And how far is that out of Adelaide itself? Uh, as far as the crow flies, it's probably about 45k. Yeah. So it's it's just far enough away. Excellent. So Jess, how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing? Yeah, so um, I didn't um, I didn't find vet nursing. Vet nursing found me and um, it's sort of the door just opened and I probably got kicked through it, I guess. I was planning on being a vet and so when I left school, um, that was my plan, but I didn't get in and so I did biological science at Murdoch Uni and um, just picked up any elective that I could that um, was a vet subject that I didn't have to be a vet student to be in to you know be in vet school to do I picked that up as my elective and and by default I ended up doing pretty much all of the biomed course so I just made it into a double major but um, along the way to improve my um, position as far as an applicant went I would do things like I'd go down to the vet school early in the morning and um, and attend their rounds and um, try and just be a familiar face and I did work experience at a number of clinics so I'd work one day a a week for each clinic and so that meant I was doing three days a week of work experience and um, from that I got a couple of job offers and I went from kennel hand to to vet nursing and um, and then I was sort of vet nursing and I was a bit in a in a in a smallies clinic and uh, I got into a bit of a low and um, was a bit disheartened. I sort of felt like vet nursing wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't, there wasn't much autonomy. Um, I felt really restricted and I sort of mm-hmm. ended up befriending one of our clients who was a renal dialysis nurse and uh, she used to come in and pick up her lovely GSPs when they were there for a procedure and she'd tell me what she'd done for the day and I just thought gee you you've got so much knowledge you're expected to have that knowledge you're expected to keep up with CPD which I was you know thinking that's got to be a good thing and you've got so much autonomy and um and obviously you love your job and and I went home and I said I think I'm going to do human nursing (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, my mum was just Mm -hmm. like I don't think so Jess this is not for you. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm definitely going to do it then. And um, so I, yeah, I was had originally enrolled at that stage to do my Cert 4 in vet nursing, but I couldn't be at TAFE and uni at the same time. So I unenrolled from TAFE. I enrolled mm-hmm. at Curtin Uni to do my Bachelor of Registered Nursing, uh, obviously for humans. And I enrolled um, in a distance ed vet nursing course. So I studied my cert for while I was doing my uh, RN and I actually changed employers and that actually just refired all my passion for vet nursing. And that's when I was kind of like, well, 
I really still like human nursing and I really still love vet nursing, so I'm just going to do them both. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that's what I did. And had you already <laughs> finished your degree with the double major by then as well? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I did – that was four years and then I went into the, the human nursing, so I just spent seven years at uni in total. Another three, three years. years and you were doing a cert four yeah. at the same time. Wow. And then yeah. – so when you finished those qualifications, did you stay on – have you always worked both jobs at once since then? No, so I right at the end of my Bachelor of Registered Nursing, mm-hmm. um, I moved to South Australia mm-hmm. from Perth, and uh, and then I picked up a new grad position. So you get there's graduate programs in the hospitals, yep. and I was lucky enough to get a position. Um, and I did my first placement was on an ortho orthopedic and plastics ward at Flinders uh, Public Hospital. Yeah, and I didn't think that that was going to be, you know, where I was going to be. I had always envisaged being in emergency mm. or perhaps paediatrics or maybe both. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd done a, you know, I'd done a placement in Peds A uh, and E in Perth at a really fantastic kids hospital called Princess Margaret, and I'd enjoyed my time there. Um, but yeah, I landed in orthoplastics, and I think you really sort of forget when you're choosing where you want to go, you, f- you forget how much impact the team around you has mm. on on your work and that you can end up doing a, a, a type of job that perhaps you didn't think was for you, but simply because of the people you work with, it's a really, really enjoyable job. So I did that and then I did uh, placement in paediatrics, but then I chose to go back to orthoplastics. And uh, I also, at the end of that grad program, I worked for um, a vet clinic in Morfitt Vale in Adelaide yep. and did one to two days a week there. Um, but then I found out I was pregnant. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what happened then? Like you've got – how many kids have you got? I now have three, but what happened was I um, – obviously I just had one. I didn't have triplets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had my eldest, Poppy, and so I ended up finishing up at, at Southern Animal Hospital in Adelaide um, – Went on mat leave from Flinders Uni, from Flinders um, Hospital, and then went back part time, just human nursing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I really, really miss vet nursing as well. Yeah. And there's no reason why I can't do both with a kid. So I actually applied for an emergency position in Adelaide at one of the 24 hour emergency centres. Yeah. And um, this is in vet nursing. And I got the job, and the person, the head nurse that interviewed me was Harry Phillips. Ah. And uh, I got the job and then I said, oh, you know, even if I do night shift, I'm going to have to turn this down because all the times that you've given me for, you know, I just can't guarantee that my husband, being a vet, will have finished work so that we can tag and have someone looking after our child. So I turned her down and then a little while I thought, what do I do next? You know, what do I do? I know, I'll just get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So I got pregnant again and, and had a second uh, daughter, Scarlett, and um, and then I got a, through the grapevine. You know that the vet world is small, yeah. and uh, down through the grapevine, I remember one of our a good friend of mine, Belinda Battersby. She she was working with my husband, and she's like, "Harry reckons that Jess should apply for this job," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and it was educating, and I thought. No, I'm not smart enough to do educating. I don't know enough to tell anyone anything. And um, and a few more people like, you should really apply for this job. And so, yeah, I can't remember how it happened. But I ended up having an interview with Harry at Nat's house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, long story short, I became a vet nurse educator. And, and 
yeah, going forward from there, I still kept human nursing and vet nurse educating and then I was getting a little bit tired with the way uh, the human nurses were being treated at Flinders and they just really didn't value uh, knowledge over flexibility. So I left there mm-hmm. but came back into to vet nursing and had another baby. So, Although I worked very hard for that third baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and are you still a registered human nurse or have you let that lapse now? I've got – you have five years yeah. till you um, – like you have to redo um, a re-entry program and I'm in my fourth year so I've currently got a non-practicing registration so I still am registered um, at this stage I'm just having too much fun and so I probably will let it lapse although yeah. it seems silly because you know three years and all that hex debt um, probably seems wasteful but you know I can still go back to it. a re-entry program's not hard I'm sure you can go back to it and you always use it too. Like I kept my um, my my practicing certificate as a solicitor going for the first year or so. We were open just by volunteering with community legal aid and doing whatever hours I needed to do because I felt the same like, oh my gosh, should I really let this lapse? Like all that hex and all that yeah. time. And um, But in the end, I thought, I just, I'm not interested in doing that. I'm having too much fun doing this. And actually I still use that knowledge daily and I'm you sure do. you use your knowledge um, as a human yeah. nurse daily as well. Yeah, I, I feel that and I always have felt that both vet nursing when I was studying human nursing and the other, you know, the other way around, vice versa, really just gives me a better grounding yeah. in the other area. Yeah. You just draw from both yeah. and that makes you better at what you do. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And your husband's a vet. Did you meet him working somewhere or is that a, just a coincidence or have you ever worked together? Yeah, the very first – so, you know, plan A was to be a vet, plan B was to marry one. <laughs> um, plan A – I don't know which plan would have been better because <laughs> the pay and the conditions are both pretty <laughs> rubbish, aren't they? Um, I, it was fun, funny because the very first job I took where um, I got made into, turned into a vet nurse, that's where I met him. Uh-huh. And um, he – I'll be honest, when I met him, I was just like, you're everything I don't want. <laughs> um, I've told him that so he knows. Um, you know, like he's this, he's from the city. He he was just so different. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, that you don't get to control those things. And he is a great guy and he's excellent at what he does and he's an awesome dad. Um, and I wouldn't be one-tenth of the vet nurse I am if I didn't have him. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It is. I think it is a nice, um, it's, uh, I mean, it's a nice dynamic. I don't know many nurses who are married to vets, but I do think it's a nice dynamic. And as I said, I was able to do some interview prep at the dinner table with Matt last night because I knew yeah. of some of your interest areas. And I'm like, tell me about these, these complications. And so we're, you know, my, my poor like two-year-old son's just in his high chair going, I couldn't care less about, about these, these things. But I mean, we do go on, which is, um, I'm sure your kids are the same. They probably know far too much about vet medicine. They do, they do. And just yesterday we had one of our goat kids, um, I had to take it into work uh, for an x-ray and my eldest, Poppy, she was just like, do you, do you think you could, you know, just after we'd syringed out some giant pus lesions in its ears, um, she's like, do you think you could take some pictures so I could take them for show and tell? Can you get a close-up of the chunky pus there? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Normal kids don't want to know that. No, I know. (laughs) That's That's right. They just, they're going to have no gauge. Like my husband's been filming a lot of his surgery and putting it up on on Facebook and and whatnot. And yeah, and sometimes when he's watching it back, my son will be on his lap just watching it. And I'm like, hmm, should he really be watching an enucleation? (laughs) Oh, totally. I think so. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, he's fine with it. As long as we tell him that, you know, that we do that in surgery and that's not to be tried at home. Um, <laughs> Definitely, now, yeah. where do you work at the moment and what's your role from day to day? Yeah, I've got a few hats. Um, so I work um, two days, one to two days a week down at uh, Adelaide Vet at our main hospital mm-hmm. um, down there in Trinity Gardens in Adelaide. And my other hat is obviously working for the Australian College of Vet Nursing and I, I do um, a day a week for them, although probably look at doing a bit more than that. Yep. Um, just now that all the kids are at school but yeah so I work from home luckily in the comfort of my office here um, for uh, ACVN or Australian College of Mm -hmm. Nursing yeah and I can it's a fantastic job because it's very flexible and I can make up hours you know at 10 p.m at night yeah you know some students get their their work return to them at 11 p.m (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so all your kids are at school that must be a relief as well but it is handy I think to have I mean I always talk about vet nursing is not um it's not that easy to fit in with dropping kids to and from daycare or school but we are lucky there are the nurse educator jobs and the emergency centers where you can sort of work hours where you can tag out with your partner or um, be doing work when your kids are asleep so that's really good yeah it is it's um it's hard I think because nothing gives me more pleasure than actually getting an eight hour work shift in at home without having to go pick them up or drop them off or you know stop to go to basketball or ballet or something but um but that's not reality and and so I just have to make it up when I can um and yeah sometimes that's that's late at night or like it'll be this afternoon (laughs) on the long weekend yeah, you do learn to stop and start and focus just whenever you can. Like yesterday, I set my alarm to get up at because I haven't had we I haven't been able to work at home properly for weeks because Matt's been really busy because our associate vet had a car accident, and so I set my alarm to start working on audio from five a.m. until I quickly got changed and went into work for my shift from nine till twelve thirty, and then the IT lady met me there and we installed a new server and I made sure all the printers could print and set up a new computer station and stayed there and kept working until about five thirty, and I was like, yes. 12-hour workday, I feel so good. And my it husband does, luckily was the yeah. opposite. He's like, yes, 12 hours of daddy daycare. I feel so good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think if you do a couple of um, of the kid days, then you're at your, your end and you're like, oh, I think I'll have the 12-hour, you know, go to work totally. day. Thank you. Totally. I ran into like a friend when I was out grabbing a few things at the shops for this new computer station. We've just set up a new like seat with our software and she was like, what are you doing today? And I told her and she's like, oh, you poor thing working on a Saturday. And I was like, no, this is the best day ever. Yeah, <laughs> like I've been at home is. for like six weeks straight with Eli. Yeah. 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 I totally get you. I hear you. And when, <laughs> when you're working at Adelaide Vets, what sort of nursing are you doing? I predominantly um, get popped on treatment shifts, which is my favourite area of all. Um, I love being in treatment. I love um, – Internal med is probably uh, my favourite yep. um, and, you know, extending that to emergency cases because my shift, I get to get uh, the late treatment shift. So I'll start at 12.30 and go till, you know, earliest is nine. I'm supposed to knock oh, wow. off, but I, 
rarely do. Yeah. Um, so that double, that sort of crosses over into our after hours um, shift, yeah. which is where the, the night nurse uh, will be there till midnight. Mm-hmm. So I still get to see some of those um, emergency cases come in and, and do that. But at, at the same time, um, managing uh, medical treatment cases through the day and also being that um, person who is there to do any tr- uh, surgeries that go after the, the uh, surgery nurse's clock off time. So yep. I get to do a bit of everything and I really love that shift. Um so that's where I predominantly end up being, although I do some reception shifts as well. Mm-hmm. And I like that just as a bit of a break and also to not feel like I've forgotten everything there is to know about, you know, the computer mm. system because it's not my favourite. It's open VPMS mm, mm. <laughs> and I'm an RX girl from way back. So, yeah, um, yeah. so it's good just to, to, to keep my brain ticking over. Sounds like you've got a nice balance of, of shifts. So is it just a big GP vet that also does obviously – you know, yeah. after hours and that sort of thing. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. Um, and I, I sort of, um, I I think that I would miss the GP side of things if I just worked in emergency. But at the same time, it's nice working um, at a GP vet that still does emergencies because a lot of them, I think, well, I believe in the city, a lot of them refer like if it if it's something that needs a yeah. blood transfusion or, you know, anything like that, they um, or, you know, any orthopedics or anything like that, it gets referred. So I kind of love being able to do those Um, more complex cases as well in a GP environment. Yeah, and we've got a couple of fantastic orthopaedic surgeons. So um, I still get to do um, orthopaedics and Mm And that's great. Um, But yeah, Yeah. no, it's it's a good little mix. What's the best part of your job to you? Um, Probably the fact that I get to teach. I guess it depends which job you're talking about, whether it's the Adelaide vet job. All of the jobs. Or... ACVN mm-hmm. um, for um, yeah, Australian College of Vet Nursing. But I love, with my Adelaide job, obviously I love making a difference, as cliche as that sounds. Mm. Um, but within, obviously, internal med, as I was saying, and critical care and emergency. And, and being part of a team, like I really love being in a team environment. I love yeah. the camaraderie. I love... Um, some, excuse me, one of the, the vets that I work with in particular, like she's got a very... Um, sassy um, <laughs> sense of humour a bit like myself and we, we bounce off each other a lot mm-hmm. and um, I love that sort of thing mm. and, and having a joke but the clinical work I absolutely love mm. and more than anything when you bundle that all up, all up I love teaching that stuff on the job yeah. so that's when you see the direct results like it's I love teaching obviously in ACVN um, imparting that knowledge and mm. just really seeing nurses want to like fire up their passion and, and mm. go out there with, armed with this best practice knowledge and I love seeing that in clinic as well yeah um, just little and even just little things like I remember there was one day where one of our young nurses was you know going to do a urinalysis and I'm like and I was sort of, you know, just partly joking. I'm like, don't you forget to calibrate that refractometer. Mm. And she was like, what? What do you mean? How do you do that? And just those little things yeah. matter as well. And, yeah. and um, yeah, I love all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you. I think you would be a dream employee as well because it's great to have nurses on the ground that, that are passionate about teaching other nurses because I think um, sometimes you can have students that come and go and they – they don't finish their cert for and they give up and you have nurses that have put so much energy into training and teaching and then it can be a little disheartening when the next student vet nurse starts and they think like how how much effort (laughs) should I put into this because are they actually going to sort of stick around and um, we have sort of 
our own training modules in place because I found oh, cool. um, I found that like where do you begin like when you're standing there teaching you know a, a, a trainee vet nurse like where do you start and so instead we all focus on we all know what area we're focusing on at that time so that you know when they've got a different person training them every day we're still all on the same track and we're not bombarding them yeah. then we can stop and test them and make sure that that all went in before we move to the next thing and I do a lot yeah. of the training of out the front of just triage and um, you know, yep. knowing when to tell an owner who's ringing going, um, you know, I've got this issue. Can I come at three o'clock this afternoon? That's in, in most cases you can go, yes, but there are some instances where you go, no, you should drop everything and come now. Yeah, come now. And so I teach yep. a lot of that and, and, I, or, and I also teach how to sort of pick up um, isolation cases over the phone and I just love it when I come into work and they'll be like, Kat, I picked up a parvo case on the phone and I made sure the parvo didn't get inside before we tested and I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> you got it or they'll be like cat there was someone with a blocked cat and they wanted to come tomorrow and I said no come now and so that's great because and that that fires them up like gives them that enthusiasm to keep on that trajectory as well it does Um, and it's not easy and that's what you need yeah it's not easy so and what's your routine when you wake up in the morning how do you set yourself up for the day but you're probably setting up multiple people for the day by the sounds of it yeah I usually come last as (laughs) setting myself (laughs) up um but yeah I I'm not a morning person I will say you know even the years of having to do early shifts down at the hospital and that sort of thing I suck at getting up, Um, but no matter what, whether I get to sleep in or whether I force myself to get up, the first thing I do is check the the bomb app, the weather. Oh, yeah. I check the weather. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> because I have horses and rugging horses hinges on what the weather's yes, doing. Yes, <laughs> very important. <laughs> and how I dress each child. Yes. So I check the weather app. That's my first thing. But, um, yeah, then my next priority is just feeding all the animals and uh, both human and furred ones. Yeah, getting them all ready for school, really. And I guess in Adelaide, I I kind of know what Adelaide weather's like because I grew up in Wagga Wagga and we used to oh, get the Adelaide yeah. weather. So my dad would always be looking at what was happening in Adelaide and he'd be like, okay, in a few days it's going to be like this here. And I know yes. it can be like minus five in winter, but it can be 45 in summer. And so you yeah. you actually have a huge variation in what the weather can be. Whereas I'm, I kind of forget that you need to do that because in far north Queensland, it's like, hmm. Well, I wear a singlet and shorts or a singlet shorts and cardigan. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, totally. I often look at um, some of my students doing their videos and I'm sitting here in front of the fire and, you know, their video was shot only a few weeks ago and they're in singlet and shorts on the grass (laughs) up there in Queensland. (laughs) What weekly or daily habit makes your life better? Um, Probably when my husband has a day off. Uh, if you can call that a daily habit, but um, or a habit, um, but I ride horses, and so usually, yeah. a, you know, a day—it's not daily because I don't have time, but yep. it's definitely weekly. And just that that ride or um, a nice dressage lesson or something that makes my life a lot better. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. It's great. You can still make time for that. I'm sure it, that that habit probably suffered for a time while you had multiple humans under, you know, a certain age. Yeah, although I was very lucky. I went, um, I sold my horse, but I went and rode other people. So I was um, riding some nice dressage horses once a week um, unless I was pregnant and um, just keeping that up. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. And can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that has positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory? 
Um, yeah, I remember reading this question and thinking there's so many things that, that definitely, um, as far as Adelaide Vet goes, being a vet clinical scene, yeah. um, to have a pulse ox that works makes a huge difference to your life because I think 99% of pulse oxes don't yeah. work um, <laughs> reliably. Um, but uh, we've recently got um, some new ones, which is nice. But I think most that has a really big impact is the Darvel circuit air warmer. Ah. And we have one on every anesthetic machine um, because there's multiple ways in which you provide active warming. But one of the ones yep. that, that makes a really big impact is that, that circuit air warmer. Just, yeah, it has a big impact on, particularly for those little patients. So I'd have to say that, and it's not just that we've got one, we've got one on every anesthetic machine. So that's beautiful. Do you think it makes a big difference to post-operative hypothermia? Um, I do. Keeping that patient, um, you know, in a nice, as close to normal temperature mm. range throughout your surgery um, gives you a shorter recovery time. And, yeah, you don't have the issues so much of the post-op hypothermia because you've maintained yeah. that close to normal bracket there um, or temperature. So, um yeah, it just does, does lots of great things. And, you know, as far as blood pressure goes, yeah, um, yeah, I love it. And I'm sure even during anaesthesia, um, they would probably be requiring less ISO and, um, you know, yeah. less maintenance anaesthesia if, if we've um, got the temperature under control. It's amazing to learn just how much um, it affects everything. So, you know, from, from the patient's pain level to the amount of um, anaesthetic, oh. you know, vapour they need to be inhaling and to the recovery time like we just can't believe how yeah. much faster patients are recovering now that we've got bear huggers and they so they go from you know from immediate um post-operative to ambulatory so much faster which is you know it's that critical danger yeah. zone i guess when that's the most important patient in the building for us and if we can um, make that go faster then we can have a nurse available to start recovering the next patient or assisting the vet or whatever so yeah so we've got we're very lucky at adelaide vet we have the fluid warmer we have the dive circuit air warmer we have the bear huggers um, obviously heat mats as well Um, and we have bear huggers not we have one permanently in theatre so it's on our table but we've also got a couple of mobile ones for recovery as well and so just all of those things combined um, just really really help and and you know the blankets obviously in the bubble wrap and and, uh, that sort of thing Mm. but yeah it's and it's I think one thing I'd like to see a little bit more of um, is starting that that patient warming like just popping them on a heat mat as soon as you pre-med them because um, we use acepromazine in our standard pre-med and so you know that that inhibits the thermoregulatory um, abilities of the patient so you need to that's when you need to start active active warming that's right and and you know anesthesia starts with the pre-med and ends when the patient's ambulatory so we need to actually start thinking about um, prevention of hypothermia from pre-med I saw a handy little tip on Lou the vet nurse's page recently where she said she just ties a little blanket around the patient's shoulders like a little cape it sort of was obviously you've got to make sure it's not not a choking or you know hazard or them getting caught up or anything but but often after you pre-med you know they they quieten down and curl into a little circle anyway and so um, you know as long as you can keep an eye on them I think that's great too so yeah no there's lots of good good things that you can do there yeah definitely yeah now do you have any strange habits or superstitions in your life I don't have any superstitions but this is one thing that I 
um, I really did have a chuckle at when I listened to Joe Hatch's interview, <laughs> um, is that she said she couldn't drink the last bit of tea. And that is something that my husband constantly mocks me for. <laughs> I, cannot, <laughs> I can't drink the last bit of tea. Mm. Um, but other than that, the only other strange thing I do is I, I have cold toast for breakfast. Why do you have cold toast for breakfast? There's a bit of a method. Um, you got to cook it so it's golden brown. And as soon as it pops up, you pop it in the fridge for 10 minutes. And it makes it crunchy on the outside and soft in the middle. And then you have nice cold butter and Vegemite and it's it's the best. <laughs> so that's why I do it. It's the best. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that's interesting. And so when you're out, do you just have to sort of put up with hot toast or just yeah, leave it to the side I for a bit? To, no, you can't. It doesn't work the same way if you just leave it in air, air temperature. Oh, okay. You've you got to have it in the fridge. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't go cold, um, hard on the outside and soft in the middle. So it just goes soggy. So yeah, I do have to just put up with. Um, although I don't mind hot toast mm-hmm. with. If you have going to have um, jam or honey, then it has to be warm. So I'd probably just modify my um, my top. Oh yes, okay. Yeah. And are you passing on this <laughs> habit to your children? Funny you should say that because um, <laughs> I think it's genetic. My mum does it. Yeah. And. Um, I didn't – it's not a learnt habit. Yeah. It's <laughs> – I'm pretty sure it's genetic. Um, my children don't tend to eat Vegemite. We, they all have cereal. So it's a bit – I don't think I'll be passing anything on to them. So that's probably for their benefit. They won't look like a bit of an odd bod like their mother. Yeah. I like it when you discover those um, genetic habits. Like if, if I go hang out with, you know, one of my older brothers now and I – like I hardly ever see them maybe once a year and like I'll be doing something and their partner, like one of their wives would be like, oh, my God, you do that too that's so annoying what are you doing and then I'll just look at my brother with like love like oh we we both do this and it will just be a totally new habit that we've never had but we've both been drawn to so I do like those little family quirks totally absolutely yeah now tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory this could be in a personal or professional capacity yeah definitely in a professional one um I think one of the things that um, that that we find as mums is that you, you before you're a mum, you have this career and you're going well, and um, you feel like you're firing on all cylinders, and you've you feel like you've actually got a full brain in your head, and you're using it, and um, and then you have kids, and after you have kids, you re- return to work, and you you have to try and get back into the work scene. And, and for me, that at a point when I returned to clinical vet nursing, despite having educated throughout my time and doing human vet nursing, going, getting back into clinical vet nursing after having kids, um, I got turned away from a few jobs. Didn't matter how good the letters after my name looked or, or how much experience I'd had, I got turned away. And I, I cried a lot. I felt like a used up dish rag and I was like, this must be how so many mums feel after having kids and returning to, and as if you already feel guilty because you're having to give a part of yourself back to the workforce and that means taking it away from your kids. So you feel guilty, you have mum guilt and then you you feel like no one wants you anymore and it, it was just, that was really disheartening and so I got turned away and from several hospitals but Eventually, I, I got an interview with um, the lovely Tracy Hunt at Adelaide Vet, and she said, 
No, no, no. You know, there's lots of part-time mums here. We're happy to have you even though you can't be that flexible person you used to be. We're happy to have you even though you can't commit to full-time hours um, because we're, we're interested in good vet nurses, not just ones who can, can be all those other things. And and I could have kissed her. Like, <laughs> I hadn't been given that opportunity Um at that point and so then I yeah got back in I got into Adelaide Vet and and have just been really happy there and and been able to contribute to the workplace and I feel valued as well and so failing to um to get into those other clinics I suppose I've you know I got a victory out of Adelaide Vet and um and so that's probably the one of them you know from a mum perspective where I've turned defeat into victory and the other one was just the fact that I never got into vet school, I ended up, you know, landing in vet nursing. And I think in hindsight, I'm probably going to always be a better vet nurse and I would be a vet. And um, yeah, maybe it was meant to be. Um, I speak to a lot of vet nurses who say, I'm actually really glad now that I can see what vets do and what vet nurses do. I'm actually really happy with what I am doing. And yeah, the mum thing, gosh, it's, um, you don't realise how how much support we need to be giving to mums as they come back into vet nursing, because you're right, especially um, if you're someone who, you know, where everything is, you know, how everything works, you know, about all the treatments, and you're that go to person, and your, your practical skills are really sharp, and then you have some time off, and you come back, and you're like, um, how do I do this on the computer again? Or what's this new product we didn't have before? Or exactly. how come we've changed the protocol on this? And what yeah. can I expect from this pre-med now that we've changed the combination? Like it's really, yeah. it's really hard. But as you say, there's kind of no, not not even this reward for jumping back in and being that person because another part of you is like, oh, is my kid okay at daycare? Or Totally. Is, is this too many totally. days for me to be working or I'm actually yep. not going to have time to do all this stuff at home that I would usually be doing. So um, you almost just don't get rewarded in any direction that you're going. No. And you have to be satisfied. Um, you, I, I had to be satisfied with no longer being good at one particular thing, but just being average at everything. <laughs> Like, or, you know, maybe not average, but I had to be okay with being spread across different areas. And you're so right. I often say the same thing to everyone else, like, and, or just to to Nick, you know, I'm like, you're so lucky that when you go to work, you get to think 100% about work. And then, and when you're at home, you're thinking 100% about home. But when I go to work, I'm still thinking, okay, tomorrow I've got to make sure that Poppy's got her basketball uniform, that Letty's got her ballet shoes, that Lola's popped her readers in her bag. Like, Oh, sorry. What you want to mean a pre-med something? Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. you know, you've got to be in ten different places at once. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I'm pretty sure that that each child you have takes a quarter of your brain. So I'm now running on twenty five percent, and um, I've got to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, and I think the key for for business owners too, and it's so great um, that Adelaide Vet had such a positive approach but I think the key is to have a really good mix of people and I think that that makes the best possible team and I often talk about having 
um, a good mix of juniors who might have less um, skills and knowledge, but they, they're happy to work from when you open to when you close, when the yep. mums can't be there. Yep. But then I had a listener email me recently and she um, she's a mum, but all her kids have left home and she, you know, start, came to vet nursing late um, in life and was kind of like, hey, don't forget people like me, like we can come too because our kids have left home. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I think how it's, it's a great opportunity really for a business and you can um, turn, what is that analysis that you do, the SWOT analysis, strengths uh, oh, yeah. from weaknesses yep. and threats into opportunities. So, you know, looking at your roster and going, oh, it's a bit of a threat to our roster having a mum who, you know, has to be at drop off and pick up. You can turn it as a business into an opportunity. Well, we can have some mums and we can have some younger students and we can have some older people who have finished their cert four but come to, to, the, to this career late and they don't need to do drop off and pick up. So I think it's just really for businesses to make um, mums feel more okay and more welcome with their restricted yeah. hours. Yep, totally. Well, this might be a nice little time to have a quick break. Are you right if we come back? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from Zilkeen. It's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations. You know the ones, thunderstorms, travel, multi-cat households, all those triggers. Zilkeen contains alpha-cazozapine to help keep the animal calm. It's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding. It's palatable and easy to give. I mix it into my dog's food. Some behavioural issues are severe and Zilkeen probably won't help these, but it works well for many pets in stressful situations. Worth a try, right? Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from you, if you like. You can help too by scoring yourself some eco-friendly and oh-so-chic Radio Vet Nurse merch. Head to my website, radiovetnurse.com, and check out my glass-reusable coffee keep cup. I've also got a lightweight, shatter-resistant glass water bottle. All with Radio Vet Nurse logo, so we know we're in the club. Wink, wink. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Jess. Now, what advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? Um, yeah, so I think you have to, I guess if, if they hadn't already um, picked a, a training provider, like being aware that um, they are different and you've got to find one that suits your style. But um, that those that are, I guess from a, an educator's perspective, to not think that, you know, if it's a harder course and it goes more in depth to not get too bogged down by that and to be disheartened. I mean, there are obviously times when you do feel like it's very overwhelming and that you're never going to get to the, um, the light at the end of the tunnel. But um, just to remember that, that it's, you know, it's not easy, but maybe that's for a reason you're going to learn more and you're going to be that better vet nurse at the end. But I guess for anyone that's entering vet nursing, getting a good mentor, but not just a good mentor that's passionate, but um, a mentor that is also up to date and aware of best mm. practice um, because I f- I'm very passionate about that. I'm very passionate about, you know, the most up-to-date information being provided to students and um, and using that to, to help um you know, build that enthusiasm and passion for, for vet nursing because we all come across times when it can be hard and, um, yeah, where you feel a bit flat and just, yeah, having a good mentor that can help keep you um, 
enthusiastic and, and just keep your eye on the prize, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's why um, the the Avnat scheme and, um, you know, a move towards registration is great for us because there is the requirement to maintain CPD and be up to date because yes. I think it can generate yes. a bit of toxicity in practice when you've got um, a nurse on your team who may have been nursing for 20 years and, you know, they, they've they definitely got um, the most years nursing under their belt. But you might have somebody else who's just qualified or they've been qualified for three years or five years, but they're continually, you know, learning and getting up to date and going to conferences. And you can get a bit of tension, I think, when you get those more up-to-date people coming back to the practice and saying, hey, um, everybody seems to be doing this now. I think we, you know, should look at changing this. And then if you get some people going, well, why would we change that? Or, um, you know, stop coming in and trying to control what we're doing or whatever. So I think, and then it can be hard to, to push back against that person that's got that you know, that 15 or 20 years or whatever under their belt. So I think um, having everybody on the same page where we actually have a genuine respect for continuing professional development and for education, I think is really important. That's so true. I absolutely agree with you 110%. Having, keeping up with CPD and staying current is really important. And it's what you've said there is really accurate of, of what happens in the veterinary profession. And I think just taking um, a leaf out of the human world, um, you know, that isn't an issue because CPD is mandatory. Yeah. And you have to be current and everybody has to be on the same page Um, and it has to be most current practice. So nobody, um, you know, makes you feel like you're not worth listening to or that you're just being over the top um, with your new information. You have to do that. So, and, and, you know, there's no medicine changes. It evolves and we move forward and we change. And sometimes we go back to old ways, but it's about what is most currently proven to be best. And, and there's no reason why veterinary, um, in the veterinary profession should be any different from the human profession in that respect. Totally. And even if it's difficult, as you said, um, you know, even people entering the profession shouldn't be put off by a course being difficult. And when I was doing my ABNAT registration, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a baby in October and I need to get 20 points, you know, from from the 1st of July to the 30th of June the next year. But I'm going to be super pregnant and getting podcast episodes loaded up or have a newborn. I wonder if there's some exception. And then I thought, no, stop. Like that, you are the exact person who needs to be doing CPD, cat, because you're not, you know, going to be keeping in touch with with practice and what's going on. Like, yes, I'll be involved with my business and everything like that, but um, that's the exact time in my life when I need to make sure I'm still, you know, doing a short course or um, somehow getting yeah. some some more um, education under my belt. Yeah, and um, no, it's it's always hard with a newborn as well because you you don't know what sort of newborn you're going to get. <laughs> uh, maybe it'll be a really good baby, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. Yeah, Yay. you can always sit in front of a webinar with a baby. That's true. You can always pause it and come back to it. That's you can right. sit yeah. on your butt and breastfeed in front of a webinar. For <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I'll be fine. Now, I'm yeah. sure you do this all the time. What advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Yeah, we do deal with that a lot when I'm doing the education, got, got the education cap on. Um, I really just try to encourage people, like I said, to see that that it is hard now, but with support of um, the, the 
your educators and and they've got to reach out for them we you know we're really really good at ACV and we've got um you know live chats on the computer mm. we've got student helplines we've got email we really and we've got a you know a student facebook group that's a closed group um we love to support our students and um that's you know making sure that you reach out for that support is really crucial if you're struggling mm. don't don't just um be silent yeah. um because you know you're not going to be alone but also just keeping your eye on the prize like you you have to accept that it's not easy um so find things or people that will keep you motivated and um and i hope that i can you know sometimes that will be us on the end of the phone line that i can motivate you just to jump back into it and um and keep going um because the like i said if the course seems tougher than others then you're likely to end up a better nurse than the other graduates that's right yeah exactly and eventually you know i've got a nurse at the moment who's probably i think she's three assignments away from finishing and it feels like forever she's been still studying and still studying and still studying and the other day i was like how are you going you know what have you got left and she's like three assignments and i'm done i was like what and i nearly fell off my chair because it does sometimes feel like you're never going to get there and then one day they turn around they're like finished yeah that's that's definitely a a, a moment worth celebrating um i remember when i finished my diploma <laughs> one of my daughters was standing there and i was like I've just clicked send. I've just submitted the the my last assignment and my daughter Poppy's like, Do you just mean like this one or like the last one for good? Like and she asked me six times, Are you sure it's the last one? <laughs> I was like, Yes, it's the last one. It was a very surreal moment. Yeah, it's it's a funny with um online study because I remember when I finished I did a Bachelor of Arts in Melbourne and on my last exam or test or whatever, this was back in the day where it was all face-to-face. And so we all walked out of the same exam together and went, yeah, and went down to the pub and had a beer or whatever. And then it was a bit of an anticlimax when I finished my law degree because by then um, a lot of what we were doing was online. And with law, we used to have these like 48-hour or 72-hour take-home exams where a question would appear online or three questions and you'd have to write, you know, it would be – three 2000 word essays or whatever in in um or multiple essays like totaling 10,000 words or whatever in the 48 or 72 hours and then when the time finished and I would always set time like that I would eat and sleep and take a walk around the block I never did I would just like work all the way through and then when it came time to submit it's actually just 8 a.m one morning and you're hitting you're clicking submit and then it's done and I remember like I just put myself through this grueling two or three day process I hadn't slept I had hardly eaten and I was on my own I pressed click and I was like I think I just finished my law degree but where where is everyone and is it okay if I pour yes. myself a red wine and hop in bed with it and go to sleep <laughs> and I think that's what I did and I was like this is so that's wrong crazy. it is a little bit but yeah that's yeah I can imagine how you might have felt because um, I was a bit like that I poor old Nat Woolley who was in one of your previous podcasts she had to read my case studies and um they weren't short. Uh, yeah. I think my longest was 320 pages. And I hope Harry Phillips doesn't listen to me say that because I'm not sure if she knows by now how long they, they were. They certainly weren't supposed to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was a bit like that. It was like, um, no, just 
clicked send on that, I, I'll go cook the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're studying like that, just feel free to get your friends and your family around you and like celebrate a little because it can be an anticlimax yeah. when you do that last click and then you make the kids lunch or get into bed with a glass of red wine at 8am and go to sleep for the first time in three days. Don't recommend that. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse that you think should be replaced with more modern um, or useful information? Yeah, I'm probably, my husband probably gets really sick of me venting about outdated advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, yeah, I think um, we all know a bit more about patient warming and starting at pre-med as we discussed earlier, which is really um, important. I think, um, you know, I think one thing we need to focus a bit more on is the recovery period. It's often forgotten about yeah. um, in just how close an eye because you kind of move on to the next patient. Yeah. Um, and because I've got a few, I probably, you could probably tell I've got a bit of a list. Um, one thing I took from, um, the human world was that it's okay to take a break and to, um, to not try and be this hero where you've done like 12 hours straight Mm. or 14 hours straight. Um, and in fact, looking after yourself helps you look after others. Um, that's, that's one thing. I'm very lucky at Adelaide Vet, we have scheduled breaks, yep. whereas in other clinics, we didn't get that. Yep. But um, probably the most outdated, oh, I don't know if it's outdated, but it's current school of thought, which I'm quite passionate about, is the early vaccination finish. But I won't get on my soapbox <laughs> um, yep. too much there. I'm just very passionate about um not having an early finish despite what uh, vaccination companies. Um, the Wasafa guidelines say no matter what it says on the product label, do not finish early. And so I, I'm yeah. the same. I get so angry when you have practices oh. that are just like, well, it says we can finish at 12 weeks. And it's like, but we need to all be on the same page. And we like, oh, we do have, so um, you know, we do have clients coming to us who have taken their, their pet might've been to um, another vet within our sort of broad vicinity for the puppy vaccinations. But then they start coming to us once they buy the puppy and they proudly come with their puppy saying, I just wanted to get a checkup and he's all ready for D sex and he's fully vaccinated. And we have a look at their age and their vaccination history and go, no, no, they're not like they're not fully vaccinated, but then we have to yeah. a um, put that little bit of doubt in their mind about are we just trying to get mm. more money out of them? B, we have to yes. make the whole profession yeah. look bad because we're giving inconsistent yes. advice. Inconsistent. Um, oh, so C, true. We're like <laughs> we could talk pushing the proverbial <laughs> up the wall to even get them to agree to it. Like some people just don't. They're like, no, I was told I bought this dog fully vaccinated. It's all done. The stickers are in the book, and yeah. so um, I that's something that really annoys me too oh we could go <clears throat> we could go on for hours i mean mda you know maternal maternally derived antibodies that is the number one interference that leads to vaccination failure yes so the fact like i base what i you know preach on the wasava guidelines as well mm-hmm. and you know mda can persist for up to you know sort of 20 weeks yep. so you should at least finish at 16 like yeah ah, but yeah, yeah I could talk for hours about that we push for a 16 17 week finish and whenever I teach this to our staff I always try and tell our nurses and our CCR like you're not deciding how many vaccinations this dog's going to get but you do need to be able to quote that person when they ring and say I'm buying a puppy I just want to do my budget how many vaccinations will they need and you yeah. need to say something that's yeah. consistent with the vet and when I'm teaching them this and I give them the Wasava guidelines and it's enormous and I highlight the key areas 
areas. I always Google um, image, Google search the um, maternally derived antibody graph and you can look oh, at yeah, a graph, million yeah. of those graphs and make it very clear to people there is this window and it's huge and it's, you know, trying to time that final vaccination perfectly when MDA has dropped enough that it's not going to interfere with our vaccine, interfere but also vaccine, covering yeah. them in case it drops early. So if you haven't Googled that graph, look at that graph. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And for people who, who might be listening to this that don't know, go and research. I love it when you yeah. like hear something you're not sure of, go and research. Go yeah, and research. absolutely. And were there any more of these things on your list? <laughs> My list. Um, oh, look, that's, that's probably the most of Good, it. Good, because I just yeah. wrote down, because I think we share a lot of these in common, because I wrote down the first two things that you said as well, because I think that a break is so important, firstly, for occupational health and safety, um, because you don't know when you're just running on adrenaline and it's a really busy day and everyone's just pushing, like that's when you're either going to hurt yourself or you're going to leave a sharp in a bucket that someone else is going to hurt themselves on, um, or you're going to forget to do something critical with your patient. So we used to just let people decide when they were going to have their lunch breaks but then what we figured out was that they just weren't taking them and then we'd get to the end of the day and that really critical time where we're trying to get patients ready for discharge we're trying to get the building ready to start consults again we're trying to recover patients and there'd be no one around because it'd be like quick no one's had lunch um so we started um scheduling lunch breaks from midday like right this is when this person goes, this is when this person goes. I am so about lunch breaks and people try to be like, oh, it's really busy, I won't take one. And I'm like, sit down, put food in your face, don't do anything work-related. And you don't feel like you need it at the time often, yeah. but until you sit down. Yeah, you got to. you got to <laughs> sit down to be your best for the rest of the afternoon. And recovery is one of my big things too. I think that um, it's uh, a time that's so easy for people to forget about that patient because there's no immediacy of them being on the table um, and, you know, they, they appear to be fine and you've got lots to move on with and you want to prep for that next patient and turn over quickly. But um, that that's to me, we when we do our training modules, one of the questions is always who's the most important patient in the building at any time and it's always the one that's in recovery um, because it's very yeah. easy just to tuck them in and go they seem Forget fine and walk away so um because yeah, you normally need to move on to the next one there's no one it would be lovely almost in a perfect world to have a nurse dedicated to recovery because you do in the human world well we do we have a recovery a dedicated recovery nurse we would have someone constantly doing your post-op temperature you know post-op other obs as well and just monitoring monitoring yeah. the recovery period yeah and I think um it's good to as well to be assigning ASA grades which is something I learned from Trish Farry at the recent VNCA conference and then you know yeah. um if it's a higher yeah. ASA grade you should have a more senior nurse doing the recovery I mean ultimately it's yeah. the vet's responsibility um but we do we do have you know the theater nurse is able to keep going um with the vet and turn over and get ready for the next surgery while we have our other nurse or definitely a nurse um with the patient recovering not extubating prematurely they've got them on the bear hugger and they're they're with them until they're ambulatory so i think that's so important too and it's so easy just to leave those patients in the hospital and shut the door and keep going but you can't yeah, yeah, no, nah, it's it's something that would be great to see a bit of uh, um, change in that area for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, how do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue? And if you're feeling overwhelmed about life or work, what do you do? Um, I'm I'm very lucky. I don't. Um, I very rarely feel 
uh, overwhelmed um, or fatigued. And, and maybe there was a couple of times, I suppose, when I was human nursing where there was the odd day where I'd feel a bit of compassion fatigue. And um, for me, it was hard because my husband, Nick, <laughs> he's like, years ago, he's like, compassion fatigue is that even a thing yes and I was like oh my gosh it is oh let me tell you it is yes and um and so I couldn't even vent about things to him at the time but um just talking with people who I felt was good in people in the similar spot you know other nurses and they're like yep yeah, yep yeah, totally get you yeah. but just as far as like just my mental well-being um just hanging around the house and um just doing stuff around the garden or the yard we've got 20 acres here so there's there's plenty to do um and my being with my animals I have a bit of a menagerie and um I love just hanging out with the animals and and yeah working around and and certainly if 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 Nick is home then I don't have to have the kids by myself my mental health my mental well-being is so much better on those days yeah (laughs) it's hard isn't it it is good um some days if I'm feeling like a bit stressed or overwhelmed like it'd be easy for me to just not go outside if it's terrible weather but eventually I'm the same I'm like right got to put the gumboots on get Eli's gumboots on we've got to go out we've got to sort out the chickens we've got to throw the ball for the dog we've got to go look at the cows and make sure they're okay and then when I'm doing that I'm like oh this is so good for me I think you're right there is definitely days more so now um in the winter where I'm like oh my I was just telling my boss the other day that for me a good time is sitting on the couch at night with you know some ice cream or something watching watching Netflix by myself um so I don't have to justify my show to anyone (laughs) um (laughs) and um but you're right when you get out there obviously not at night but when you get out there and you get stuff done you come back feeling like you've accomplished stuff and even if it's just physical exercise or just getting your kid out there and making sure they're not living this sedentary life in 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 the house which just can be easy to do as a mum because it's so much easier just to let them you know sit there or float around the house versus go outside yeah. and make sure that they're warm enough yeah. and or whatever um yeah that you do feel like you've accomplished something I think if you when you do yeah that. for sure and what sort of veterinary work does Nick do he's a small animal yeah. vet um and he yeah, he tells me he has an active distaste for a dislike for horses, even though he will reluctantly help me stitch up a horse or drench a horse if I really need it. But, um, but yeah, he's a smallies vet. He's he's managed um, he managed a veterinary clinic before as well, so he's got that experience and he's one of the senior vets. So he, you're not at the same clinic, are you? We are. Oh, now, yeah, are yeah. now. Okay, so, great. Yeah, yeah, we never, we weren't um, as of November last year and probably back to one of your previous questions, you know, what's one of the best things our clinic has bought? Probably Nick. Um, <laughs> were you there first? Buying Nick. So you were there. I was so there you put first, in a good yeah. word. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I put in a good word for him and, and so he's come on board and um, he's adjusting to a different different computer system yeah. and just different protocols but he's enjoying the team and he's loving the fact that he's getting um, lots of good surgical opportunities and, and upskilling there as well. Great. And how are you finding working together? 
Well, we have to still tag because yeah. we don't have any family here in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, so, we do the same thing. Yeah. We actually we had a shift yeah. together once recently because my um, my mother in law was here, and so I I was able to leave. And we have no family here either, so I was able to leave Eli home and go in on a Saturday working with Matt, and it, it was crazy because we used to work together six days a week, and now we hadn't since yeah, I was so- about. Well, I, I probably did my last shift with Matt when I was 41 weeks pregnant well, with Eli, but then not since then. So I was like, oh, my God, we're working together. Because, yeah, you do – you are used to yeah. doing the tag out. Yeah, we've had one shift where he came in um, for an orthopedic surgery. Um, so we were in theatre together. And I said, we better take a photo because it's been 10 years yeah. since we have – work together so yeah <laughs> it's probably it's our current Facebook profile pic it's the most recent thing we've done together excellent and he's he likes doing orthopedic surgery as well yes he yeah. doesn't mind a bit of orthopedics yeah. um and he's certainly getting stuck into a few more now um with our senior orthopedic surgeon we've got Dave Mason and Warren Foreman and they're both awesome orthopedic vets so yeah oh that's really great I think when um GP vets can do that Matt has always done you know I love cruciates and plating but we've just um done our first TPLO last week and we've got one booked for tomorrow too so that's exciting and I'm looking forward to one day um brushing up my skills with like a an orthopedic surgery um short course to be able to jump back in and do that too because um I will be pretty rusty by the time that um I've got kids at school and I'm able to do that yes (laughs) yes and it's okay to feel like you're not going to be the same vet nurse you were back then until you've had a bit more um you know when you get back into it you do feel very rusty and it's okay to feel rusty yeah, oh man, I'm rusty like rolling a cephalic vein. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> oh dear, you never fully forget it. It's all good. Now, yeah. I want to ask you um, the question, the next question, what is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement? And in addition to the, to the answer that you've um, automatically thought of, I also want you to talk about um, how a greater knowledge and understanding around DIC, SIRS and MODS um, might be important for our industry to focus on. Yeah, well, touching on, um, I guess, a comment we made earlier about CPD, um, education, as far as vet nursing goes, education is, and continuing education, um, is a a big part that, that I suppose now is improving. When I first started vet nursing, um, it needed improving and it's now improving. And I think um, it was good because I, you know, I, I only got into education because of that. I was really passionate about changing the standards um, that vet nurses are taught. Um, and it needs to be higher across the board because th- then that should be the benchmark so that there's less variation in the graduates we, we, we turn out and that simple stuff isn't missed. Um, and, I think one thing I find myself um, saying to so many students um, and just vet nurses in general is that vet nurses need to know why they're doing what they're mm. doing. They need to know what, you know, why the why behind what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can only come with education mm. and and you just strip it right back to the building blocks. And, and that's, you know, I know that's what we do in our courses delivered by ACVM. We're teaching those building blocks and they might seem really laborious and boring and, and difficult and that there's lots of detail. But trust me, you'll build on that. And you'll have a foundation. Um, and I have seen other vet nurses not have that foundation and they just blindly go about doing what they're doing and, and they don't know why and they yeah. don't know – then you don't know when to change. Yeah. Like, 
when is the exception to those exactly. rules? You need to understand um, the why. So that's that's um, you know it's a medical industry. So information changes over time, and that's what we you know we were saying earlier. Staying current is really necessary for for being able to provide optimal patient care. Yeah. So I think that education is a big thing. Um, and one of the areas that I feel gets missed a lot, um, certainly um, I was talking to Nick about it back when I presented a, a webinar on the topic of, of SIRS, mm. which is Systemic Inflammatory Response Syndrome, and MODS, which is Multiple Organ Dysfunction Syndrome. Um, I was talking to him about it, saying, you know, were you taught that at uni? And I think from memory, he said, oh, I was touched on. But, you know, this is vet nursing and, and vet nurses are the eye, the eyes on mm. the ground. You know, we are often alerting vets to what we're mm. seeing and particularly in those recovering patients mm. or um, in any patients that come in that are hospitalised, we are the eyes and ears on the ground. So, SIRS is something, you know... Um, SIRS happens when you from any insult that is big enough to cause this um, this systemic, so your whole body inflammation above a certain threshold, mm-hmm. and that then puts every organ system in the body under mm-hmm. pressure, and you can have infectious causes, or but you, they can also be non-infectious. So you might commonly associate it with sepsis, um, but you can get SIRS resulting from a, a massive surgery. Yep. So you need to be on the lookout. Um, I think it's really important that nurses learn that these things exist and then learn how um, to look for signs that when you add these jigsaw pieces together, you've got a puzzle that's looking like SIRS and possibly MODS and then Mm. you've got to really step in and support your patient. Mm, mm. Um, SIRS leads into MODS in that once you've got more than two organ systems in the body failing, you have multiple organ dysfunction syndrome. Mm and those derangements can be um, endothelial, cardiopulmonary, renal, nervous system, endocrine, and the gastrointestinal system. So there's all these systems. Um, in the webinar that I did for that webinar, I looked at monitoring each of those systems because you might look alone, look at one thing alone and not think much of it. Like, oh, this, this animal's got tachypnea. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's got tachypnea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Why? Mm. Why? What? What's driving that? And what else does it have? Mm. You know, does it have something else that when we add these things up, you've got a couple of organ systems failing and is our patient Cersei, mm. um, are they going into mods? Because it's a slippery slope and you won't be able to save them all, but you certainly have to do your best at supporting those organ systems to try and reverse the process, depending on what the primary cause is, of course. And when I was brushing up on these just earlier this morning and chatting to Matt about it last night, I I was trying to imagine a patient and a situation in which I might be picking up that they were Cersei. And I was reading that it's, it's, um, it can cause one of the four types of shock. So distributive shock. So the blood vessels are excessively dilating blood volume, can't maintain the normal tissue perfusion. So it could just look like a shocky patient too. Yeah. 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 And well, yeah, that's right. Um, so being aware of all these things, I guess, um, you know, we're, we're not vets, but we're certainly what I, another thing I always say to, to vet nurses is do, do and learn. You don't need a vet degree to go and research. You don't need a vet degree to learn that stuff. So 
go and read up about it. Yeah. Um, it might be more difficult to understand depending on where you're coming from in your education, but go and go and widen your knowledge yeah. and just be aware of these things and then you can ask more questions and you can raise that alarm. I remember coming in on a shift one day and there was a little Jack Russell and he was in the in the treatment room. There was loads of people around him. It was in busy lunchtime period and I got a handover and I was like, I was told, so this guy's, um, we're monitoring him because he's, um, I forget now what he had, but we're monitoring him because he's, you know, respiratory rate's a bit higher than normal, but his SATs are okay. Um, I forget there was something else. And I said, okay. So I did a TPR on him and I noticed that he was a little bit um, pyrexic. Mm -hmm. And then I took him out and I brought him back and I looked at his abdomen and I said to our vet, I said, were these particular hemorrhages here before? And he's like, oh, I don't think so. And I said, should we be considering DIC, mm. like disseminated intravascular coagulation? Mm. <laughs> you know, so, you know, that sort of stuff. So you you might not um, know what's driving it, but as a vet nurse, you can at least know, hey, that's not mm. normal. Um, that could be linked to this. I can ask that question. And yeah, he was in DIC. Um, he died that night of mods. Yeah, right. And and when I was speaking to Matt um, last night, I I understand that the DIC cascade happens really quickly. And I I had heard DIC before, but in my early days nursing, I thought it was like you know how we shorten hit by car to HBC or whatever. I thought DIC was just a shortening of dead in cage. But now I know that a lot of vets um, consider it to be synonymous with dead in cage because yeah, it moves right. so quickly. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't until later on that I was like, oh, it actually has an, a proper meaning of disseminated intravascular coagulation, and it's a really interesting one because it sort of starts with um, overactivated um, clotting mm-hmm. factors, but then it yeah. reverses into a sort of coagulopathy doesn't it so from one extreme to the, yeah. to the other yeah you use them all up that's right so yeah another um they jokingly well not jokingly call it but for want of a better word death is coming um, oh death is coming yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so similar to death in cage yeah that's right it is synonymous so um but yeah you're right um and so there's things to look for when you if you educate try and educate yourselves and keep up with you know if this is a more commonly talked about thing and and brought up in CPD then you can can look about that because yeah you get you get that from leaky procoagulant blood vessels and you consume protein and clotting factors Mm -hmm. and that's what happens and then you'll get third spacing of fluids so when you start you know doing then going oh should we do a a fast abdo scan you there's their free fluid Mm -hmm. um then you get imbalance of oxygen demand delivery and use and Mm -hmm. yeah just keeps i could go on forever (laughs) but um certainly if you the one thing that even junior vet nurses can take from that is um is there any rashes? Is there, you know, ecchymosis or petechiae, those two different patterns of rashes? Can you see any of that? And if you can, then definitely flag it. And, you know, even if, you're, if you've been nursing for ages and you want to look um, any of these conditions up, so we've got DIC, disseminated intravascular coagulation, we've got SIRS, systemic inflammatory response syndrome, and MODS, multiple organ dysfunction syndrome. Um, and I guess the patients that we're flagging it, it, it's usually like a secondary issue, isn't it, that happens um, in, in response to something else that's going on. So we'd be looking at our patients that are already in with septic shock or pancreatitis or heat stroke. Yeah or even post-op, any any systemic inflama- inflammatory response mm-hmm. that is big enough, yeah. just insulting enough, yeah. um, 
can trigger SIRS. That's yeah. right, yeah. So it's just uh, something that's in response to some sort of life-threatening challenge that's happening with the patient. Yeah. yeah. Yep, Very yep. good. Um, well, I also, yeah, just touching on your first responses to that question, I love knowing the why as well because exactly you hit the nail on the head exactly of what I always say, which is you don't know when to deviate from the plan if you have just wrote learned the plan and you don't know yeah. why you're doing it. Um, so Definitely. I think that's important to continually come back to. Like I sometimes forget what I did in my cert for and I'm like, oh, why are we doing this again? And I'll go look it up. And I also really try and um, – try and encourage um, our nurses to move away from when we're learning something new there's a tendency sometimes to be like someone will say oh should I write down all those steps and we'll laminate them and we'll put them where where we do that thing and I'll be like no because if you know why we're doing it you don't need to follow the steps like you know why we're doing it and the outcome that we want to achieve it will just be logical and so I think rather than focusing on rote learning the steps it's nice to focus on why are we doing this what do we want from this what's the outcome we're we're trying to achieve yeah and I think if it becomes for me personally when I did more of that and involved myself I became more involved in the cases I I was corresponding more with the vets that in turn I learned more I felt I felt more valued, I felt like I contributed more and that drove my passion more and that's ultimately I'm sure what every vet nurse wants is to feel more useful, to be more part of that case and to drive her passion mm-hmm. or their passion, his or her passion. Um, and and so, yeah, I think it, it's, um, it can have that domino effect in a really positive way. Definitely and I think as long as it's coming from a place where um, – we've got the education and the CPD behind us and we are coming to the vet with this information in a respectful manner and and we work on our communication and everything I think it can be particularly invaluable at the moment I was talking to another guest about the um, the vet shortage that we're experiencing in Australia and the UK and in the states and I know certainly what she was saying is in response to the vet shortage businesses should be um, just you know getting a, a team of super nurses and really upskilling them so that they can support these vets who are often working um, in an understaffed capacity there's not enough vets for all of the cases that are coming through um, and so I definitely saw that in our practice uh, when our associate vet had a car accident and was off for about two weeks and uh, sorry two months and then some days Matt was coming home and I was like how did you get through all of that today and he would be like oh this nurse and this nurse like and like they'd be senior nurses of course they just thought for me like they thought ahead for me yeah. all day and it was amazing because when I would be, you know be about to start thinking of something I'd turn around and everything was there that we needed so at times you know that is thinking like could this be DIC would you like us to set up this diagnostic equipment yeah. or you know could this yeah. be pyo do you want us to get the ultrasound out or um we thought that you might want to have the urine looked at because we noticed this we just grabbed some urine and yeah. we've already tested this yeah. or you know things that you I can do that. so i think that you know obviously it requires communication with the vets um and making sure that you're not overstepping any boundaries but i think it's more important than ever for nurses to be able to think ahead and to you know help share yeah. some of that burden and, and come back with useful information that is allowing the vets to focus on you know all the multiple cases that they're sort of juggling definitely and I see um, we have a number of of new grad vets and I think that is equally really important for them because they really rely on you um, as an experienced vet nurse they really rely on that and it's so important at the moment particularly where we've got at least we're talking more about 
depression and suicide within the within the profession mm. but you know um you don't want them leaving either uh and i think it's really important that they have that that extra support because i think still at the moment there's not enough support for new grads mm. um in depends what clinic mm. you're with but some clinics mentor their new grads really well and and are very closely there for them others are a bit more distant mm. and and you know I do have our new grads just sometimes just being really close to tears or really stressed because they haven't had the support they needed from um, some of their mentors and they do need those um, experienced nurses just there supporting and prompting and and just thinking of things that they would have ine- inevitably thought probably by themselves too but it's um yeah really important for them equally but i think also you know when you are that nurse i personally i i i get um it's rewarding for me to to think oh yes i was able to be there for that vet one step ahead of them to make their job easier um and that's that's one of my goals for work each shift that i work at that i work so yeah, equally the um, all vets across, but definitely the new grads need a lot of support too. Definitely, I really agree with that. And I think it can be confusing sometimes for junior nurses or like when we've been training our new CCR lately, like they'll watch senior nurses doing what we're talking about right now and then they will on the phone start asking questions to a client like, how many days has your dog been sick and what's he been, what symptoms has he been exhibiting? And you kind of have to get, get them off the phone and be like, why are you asking all those questions? They wanted a consult the, the vet's just going to ask those questions and they're like I'm helping with diagnosis and you have to be like don't even say that word you're not helping no, with don't. diagnosis I know it looks like that's what we're doing but there's a big difference between asking questions and wanting to know things about the case in order to be that one step ahead that you're talking about or in order to be yeah. triaging a case over the phone and saying no don't leave it till three o'clock today come now because we might need to do surgery like just like on a practical level being one step ahead of them um and and there's a big difference between that and what it might look like which it might look like we're trying to crack the case or whatever so yeah, yeah i think totally. it's an important yeah. distinction yeah. for juniors to know but also yes. that help with the uh, new grads is great too just when they're at a clinic and they don't know um even like they might not be familiar enough with how the client base is um, generally yeah, sort of dealt yeah. with. Like they don't want to be um, offensive to a client by insisting, um, you know, a certain line of treatment, but at the same time they don't know, well, would this vet, would the other vet usually insist on this or would we let it slide? Like, yeah, but whereas totally, a, a nurse yeah. who's been nursing for years and at the same clinic for years, they can see what looks like, um, you know, a suspected rat bait coagulopathy about to be discharged with oral vitamin K and just pull the new grad aside and be like, Mm-mm. when we have ACT <laughs> of that yeah, length of time, yeah. we don't discharge them with, with um, oral vitamin yeah, K. We, yeah. we really, really try to get the owner to agree to that, you know, plasma transfusion or whatever it is. Yeah, just guide them and, and, um, and protect them from, from those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, it's been so nice picking your brain on all of these things and, um, and chatting about um, some of these particular interest areas as well. And I'd love to know if you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say? Wow. Um, there are so – there's always so many. Um, I have to probably – my husband, Nick, has – we bounce off each other a lot and uh, – He's probably not necessarily a mentor, but he's made made me a better nurse. And I think he's he has. I've known him to say that I 
he's a bit of it because of me too. Oh, that's so nice. maybe it's maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> um as far as other external people go, I think um yeah, definitely back when I was uh first started nursing there was a, a vet um Ian Hainsworth who took me on board and gave me a chance when no one else did. So that was that was good. But otherwise in the education, you know, the education circles, um, Harry and, and Nat have they inspire me. Um to be a really good educator as well so yeah a handful of people oh that's awesome it's really um it's been nice actually to hear your story because when I when Nat told me a bit about you I thought okay this is someone who must have been a human nurse but then she met her husband and he was a vet and that's why she's transferred over because they must um, have a vet business or she wanted to work with him or whatever it was but it's actually not that you've always had these um, two passions of human nursing and veterinary nursing and um, you know just nursing in general I guess and then um, it is nice to have someone in your life that you can ask questions to um, just whenever they come up at home and you can get an explanation yeah. and you're not worried like does this person think I'm a moron or um, exactly you know, so you know, true you know exactly what level <laughs> Yeah. moron you are so you got nothing to, to yeah. lose <laughs> that's so true <laughs> I didn't realize it until one of the nurses at work the other day said that um something about along the lines of um Nick had mentioned that some of the research I'd done when writing my case studies he had learnt new stuff and I was like oh, he wouldn't tell me that but that's good to see <laughs> that that the education um you know, has benefited both of us and we can bounce off each other and be better at what we do. You know, Matt used to admit more often when I would teach him stuff because I'd come back from a conference in the early days of Ready Vet and be like, we need to do this differently. We need to stop doing that. Everybody's doing this. We need to buy this piece of equipment. And he would be really stoked with that. But in recent years, he's become a little less likely to say that. Like recently we went, my head of nursing and patient care and I went to the VNCA conference in Brisbane and we got back from the conference. We yeah. both prepared prepared just a little report on some takeaways that we'd gathered from the conference of things that we felt we we might uh, just just might warrant thinking about doing at ready vet and we had a meeting with matt and with our associate vet because obviously we can't make those changes and we can't tell the vets to do that but we can say we've been in the, all these lectures with all of these other nurses and this is what a lot of other people t seem to be doing should we think about this and one of the things I came back um, saying was everybody seems to be using fentanyl um, I know we're doing a lot of really painful like orthopedic procedures and, and that sort of thing should we think about using fentanyl and at the time Matt was just like candid and was like no we don't have um, you know a syringe pump and we can't be doing CRIs like we've just bought all this other gear that's down the list and I was like but what about fentanyl patches and he's like yeah but you can't send the patient home with it like what if it comes off it's a schedule 8 drug what if it gets stuck onto one of the kids or the owner and no not a good idea and then a couple of weeks later I was um, just entering some invoices into Myob from our drug supplier and I saw fentanyl <laughs> and so I came out and I was like I came out to Matt from my office at home and I was like fentanyl we bought fentanyl and he's like yeah yeah I thought we'd give it a go and I was like but what about the patches falling off at home he's like well we're just bandaging them on so that they can't and I was like okay and then I um 
I just kept, you know, doing my work and then he's just uses it on patient after patient after patient now and I haven't said anything but I am stoked and like even um, on one of his um, videos that he shared, Joe Hatcher wrote, gosh, that looks painful and he wrote back like, oh, nothing that a bit of fentanyl wouldn't fix Joe and so oh, I was uh, typing up discharge notes the other day with my head of nursing and patient care who was also suggesting fentanyl and she was sort of handing over to me as I got to work saying, halfway through typing this up if you want to continue I'll go back out the back and I'll, and she said you know make sure they've got to come back on Monday to get the fentanyl patch off and I just looked at her and I just was like fentanyl and we just fist pumped and we're like yeah that's just a little thing that we were able to influence <laughs> but you know he, he, it's it's Matt's idea now but that's okay oh you're very nice I would have gone to Nick and gone hey <laughs> where's the kudos for me <laughs> that's it I wouldn't let him forget yeah, it <laughs> I think it's just so nice as nurses to know like oh this patient wouldn't have had this and this patient wouldn't have had this and now they do so yeah yeah definitely and yeah fentanyl I do love fentanyl we do CRIs and fentanyl patches as well and uh, and that's one thing actually I um had a bit of a well I I worked very hard but I, I got our fentanyl protocol changed as well so I think um, one thing I haven't gotten to mention in your interview but one thing I think is really important as nurses who um, are in not not been in clinic forever but um, to make changes when you're in a clinic because mm. I often see students they, they have to take whatever clinic they can get um, because there's not many placement opportunities mm. around um, and when they, they end up working in those clinics for good employed in them then they want to implement changes and it's just just baby steps mm. just do baby steps you won't you won't be able to implement everything mm-hmm. straight away but don't mm. give up on it um you know if you have the evidence mm. there to back you do it in the right way That's at it. the right time to yeah. the right person and um and you might see some changes made and uh and yeah that's right. And even for me as like the business owner and married to the vet, I still had to be really careful how I did it and how my head of head of nursing and patient care did it. And I said to her, you know, we both just need to provide, uh, prepare a really succinct report. We d- don't pick everything that we think could change. Just pick the main things that we really want to change. And then let's have a meeting after work where the phone's not ringing and there are no patients. And we'll sit down with both of the vets and we'll just, you know, calmly and po- in a positive way just present it and they can pick and choose what they want Um, and so I knew that 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 was the better way to go rather than just like over dinner or you know in in the middle of the work day saying why can't we do this instead of this and we also both had printed um, copies of notes of the lectures that went with certain things that we were saying like here's the full copy of the lecture notes so that you can read up on that in your own time and you know let them go away and think about it don't just say Yes or no, you know, so I think um, you, you're right, doing it in the right manner um, at the appropriate time to the appropriate person, but don't give up and do all your research and you will you will see positive changes. Yeah, and, and vets, they, they're scientists, they like evidence. We do, and we should all like evidence. We should all like evidence, absolutely. We're all scientists. That's absolutely true. Um, but, yeah, when you're presenting something to them, it, I, I do it at home with anything. If I want Nick to change, you have a good chance of changing Nick's mind on something, I provide evidence. <laughs> I'm in with a chance then. <laughs> uh, well, it's been lovely chatting to you, and I think we, um, just like your experience with Joe, I think I've found that I've been on the same page um, as you about a lot of um, the things that you're really passionate about um, in terms of the industry and changes as well. So that's been really lovely. And um, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. That's awesome. I've been very honoured to to be on your program, Kat. It's fantastic what you do and uh, keep doing it. Thanks for your support, Jess. 
Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.